1: Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. This podcast, talking about the six nations that has now finished, uh, JB is in his TMO shipping container on a French mountainside. You can hear him talking about everything besides international rugby on the other podcast which is in your feed and why you should hit subscribe. Uh, I'm Tim and I'm with Phil. How are you doing, Phil? Hello, Tim.
2: I'm doing Okay. I'm doing okay. Apart from, I had a slight hangover this morning, nothing too bad. And at 7am, Thomas kicked a full tub of white emulsion paint down the stairs, which promptly exploded.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> so, oh, dear.
2: so So I, I, I was hoping to have a little bit of a, um, a restful morning. Uh, and I had none of that.
1: <laughs> it, it, it could be worse. It could have been gloss.
2: It could. You're quite right. You're quite right. I, it sense. I, I was very sensible keeping the white emulsion at the top of the stairs, not the gloss.
1: Yeah. Well, you've already <laughs> taken the shine off of the dropkick Murphys. Um. But <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, that's you know. quite all right, mate. It's quite all right. But it it, it was <laughs> only fitting and right that we pay due deference and respect to Ireland Grand Slam champions 2023, world yes. number one team, uh, and just what just an awesome rugby team, Phil.
2: They are. They are a hell of a team a hell of a team a hell of a um, performance right throughout the tournament and no matter who was wearing the shirt as well they they were absolutely superb from one to 23 and or one to 35 depending on how many players actually played they were awesome and a bonus point win this weekend again which yep. means they they only dropped one bonus point all um, all tournament.
1: And, and I, can't, I don't know if, I can't think of maths now in my head, but it's either five or six tries they conceded in the whole championship, which is incredible.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're just a very, very good all-round team. Um And they, they really are a good all-round team. Like There's no area really where they have any significant weaknesses. The only, the only place that you can... There's, there's two ways to get at them by scoring absolute worldy tries like France did on a couple of occasions in the first half of that game or eventually if you've got a very, very strong driving mall, you can eventually get them with a driving mall if you have enough goes at it.
1: Or like, that... Wales, or like Wales did the other year when uh, there was red cards. <laughs> yes. That's the other that way. Be... Yeah,
2: but even The discipline is, is generally excellent yeah. um, and I think they're so well drilled that like we've we've seen it we've probably not seen too many red, um, yellow and red cards from them, but um, we've seen them manage totally changing personnel right across the board to the point where last week they were playing with um, two loose heads and a tight head scrummaging and their open side thrown into the line out yeah. and it actually didn't matter. They can just keep going. So I have no doubt that they would um, they'd be able to handle going down to 14 men for extended periods of time.
1: As soon as I saw that team announcement on Thursday and you saw that pack with Dan Sheehan and Caelan Dorris in and you saw what was the back line that beat New Zealand mm. um, in, in New Zealand, uh, even with, without Gary Ringrose, you thought, oh, this is this is done.
2: Yeah. yeah I, as an England fan, went into it, you kind of have hope um but you don't really believe like and you you never really believed and then to be fair in that first half um england now oh, the interesting thing was england played some good stuff and they they controlled the game nicely they never really threatened ireland no. as in in the whole game i think england made one line break in the whole game
1: really they just,
2: they just I mean, never
1: yeah.
2: wow yeah they they, they just never Threatened the, the best attacking opportunity England had. Halfway through the first half, England had 14 or 15 phases with ball in hand in Ireland's 22. Right at the end of it, um, Freddie Stewart nearly got round the outside of Henshaw to create an opportunity for Arundel, but he didn't. And that was the one. It was 15, 14 or 15 phases, stretched them from left to right, deep in the red zone, and they nearly created a, um, a try scoring opportunity. The only other chances were were penalties, which fast kicked well, and the rolling mall try. Ireland's defence was superb.
1: Yeah, um, and there was a clear gulf in class between the two teams. But I would also say defence, I think, was the area that stepped up most for England. I agree with you. Like the between now and the World Cup, and actually, the good thing for England, and I'd say Wales. And Australia and even Argentina is actually you've got an extra couple of games preparation for having to be good than the other team's on the other half of the draw so by the World Cup quarter final England have got to be got to develop their attacking game but the defense you've been talking about it how they've how England have been saying oh we're we're learning a new defensive system and you pointed it out uh after the France game that it feels like Maybe Kevin Simfield's defensive tactic is to to have a little bit of a passive, soft defense. Mm. Give up give up a little bit more space, but not get breached. And it felt like against Ireland, they've actually gone in the week. Right. Scrap that. Let's go back to quick line speed and just smashing everything in front of you.
2: Yeah. They, there was a bit more um on that side. There was there was still a few wobbles, but I think I think overall it was not bad. But there were a few wobbles. Like there was um it didn't actually result in a try I think it resulted in the first three points being scored, but there was a um a break down the middle a keenan break down the middle um after about twenty minutes of the first half where england's defensive line was all at sea like totally it was just dog legs everywhere um <laughs> multiple dog legs four of them um besides that i thought they they did all right, although the she and the first She and Try was poor, and that now that's yeah. It's a bit structure. It's also a bit of just not not reading. I think it was was it Ludlam and Sinclair, both of whom kind of assumed the other one was going to start filling in that yeah. place. neither one of them actually did.
1: Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking that afterwards. I, I thought it was actually Do, um, Dombrant's uh hole, but may, maybe it wasn't It might have been. But the point, point is, that's one of those where in the team meeting, there's fingers pointing in lots of different directions. It was just poor yeah, from a lot of yeah. a lot of angles and not sniffing out that threat. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you're right. There, there were wobbles there, but th- that was the element where they got at Ireland and caused them issues. And Jack Willis was a, a beast at the breakdown. They were more dominant in the collisions, and yep. and that meant that suddenly Jack Van Portfleet had a bit more of a platform to do some good box kicking you know, and Owen Farrell sit back in the pocket and knock the ball around and play territory. And the I think the biggest thing is that the Aviva Stadium, all that noise before and when the teams came out and building up to kick-off just evaporated. It was quiet, deathly quiet yeah. when England was 6-0 up.
2: Yeah, it went away. And then obviously second half, Fields of Athamray was being belted out when it when it became an unassailable lead, when Johnny Sexton um, slotted the conversion from the touchline for that third try, and it meant it was how many points there were more than two converted scores ahead, and it was like that is it, it's game over. Yeah, this disappointing for an England fan, but there there are there are some green shoots, but it's all about Ireland. That that Ireland team was so so good, so good. Um, so fair play, Deserve number one in the world, deserve a grand slam, um, and it will be very interesting to see how they go into the World Cup in what is a horrendous route to <laughs> to the World Cup.
1: Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it really is. Um, uh, just 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 on England then, like just focusing on England for a minute. What were the green shoots yeah. you talk about? Whether it's whether that's individuals, whether that's elements of the game. Um
2: I thought the scrum and line out have been good all tournament. Uh, the scrum at times, I think England won several scrum penalties mm-hmm. against a very good Ireland Scrum. And when particularly when um Sinclair and Genj were on, I thought when um uh, when Tom O'Toole came on, uh, that probably probably uh coincided with Vunipola and Dan Cole coming on. I thought Ireland got the upper hand towards the end on in the scrum but besides that, England won some, some good scrum penalties and generally their scrum has been better all tournament. Um, besides that, I thought um, Watson looked good yeah. this this weekend um, with not much ball feeding off scraps, but his feet were exceptional. I think Freddie Stewart has had a good tournament generally. I think um, Lawrence, it's a shame he got injured. I think Van Plot, getting more game time is good. I think we know now that is going to be the starting ten, unless Ford comes back to some remarkable form. Um, so
1: is that, is think- that as you see it? Is that as you see it? Because this has been like a cause, an area of constant debate, the Smith-Farrell thing.
2: Yeah, I think it will be. I think it will be. I could be wrong about that, but I... No, I, I my, think it
1: will be. Do you think it should be? Is, is that your read of well, it? If, like your objective read of it? Yeah, my
2: my objective read of it is that um, both will now settle with Faz as the the number one ten, and part part of that just he showed that in this tight game, and even um, even when they were man down, um, Faz is much better at controlling the game like that. Marcus Smith, for all the amazing things he can do, and he can do amazing things, he's just not. He plays a different game and that, that different game works incredibly, incredible, incredibly well in that Harlequins team, it doesn't necessarily translate to um, international rugby, and it certainly doesn't necessarily translate to international knockout rugby. As you said before, Tim, look at the 10s, the type of 10s that have won World Cups. It's yeah. not Carlos Spencer. 100%.
1: Uh, well, what, what's great, just, uh, just on Ireland, what's great about the Six Nations is particularly with Ireland's half of the half of the draw, is that they will not get a better rep- replication of what they will need to do at a World Cup than what they have just done mm. over the last seven weeks. Um, yeah. That should fill them with a lot of confidence. Um, and,
2: and what they did in the autumn as well. Absolutely. Autumn. So yeah, they're, they are primed and ready. They've got everything that they need to. They're as, as, in as good a position as they possibly could be, but they could still easily and likely go out of the quarterfinal.
1: Yeah, quite quite likely. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to preface this conversation by saying, I don't believe it affected the result. And I think Ireland's pressure over 80 minutes would have told regardless of this next conversation. Um, so it's not, it may be perceived as sour grapes. It's not sour grapes. It didn't affect the result. However, I'm just going to go to an email here. James Cowan. Um, hi, James. He's been listening since the very start and said, he wow. even He's even made sure he's listened to episodes that he missed. I oh, know he started listening in 2014 uh, and we were going to 2013 and he went back and listened to the old back catalog one. So he's <laughs> this, this is like proper stalwart. So top Avenue on board. He says um, it's a, a lovely long email, James, which I, I'm sure you'll appreciate. I'm just going to skip to the c- big question at the end, but I very much appreciate your email. He says, um, so to the subject of my email, please in your Monday morning, Feed of international review. Don't fall foul of the current rugby trend in agreeing this is a red card. The punditry at the weekend on air clearly had to rein it in, but I would love to hear what was said off air. And this is one of the reasons why I listen to your pod. It feels like I'm listening to honest comments on the game. If someone cares enough about the game to listen to a podcast about it, it's pretty obvious they're not the casual watcher that wants to be pandered to in how Stewart deserved his red card. And it didn't ruin the game. And that it made it more interesting. So please, let's stop dishing out um, red cards to be in line with. Anyway, you get the point. So James is pleading. Well, firstly, do you think the pundits were are, are do what do you perceive, Phil? Do you think they do rein it in a little bit? Um,
2: I I think they sometimes do rein it in a little bit. Not not all of them, um, but I think they I think they generally do. Yeah. I think Austin Healy's is one who generally doesn't. He speaks totally freely and exactly how he thinks. I think many of the others uh, temper it.
1: So with that in mind, well, what, what do you think of the French
2: steward red card? So first of all, I totally agree with your point that it did not change the result. Maybe it would have been three tries to one without the red card. Um, probably not. I think it's, it's the right result um, and it would have happened anyway. The red card is very interesting for me because I watched this in TOC H um with no sound, and we're chatting away and watching the game as an, as a as kind of background and in, in in that scenario, I think with no sound and we just saw the replays really, um we had no no one really had an issue with it. it's it looked from that like made contact with the head shoulder to the head with with force, therefore red card, comfortable move on. Now, I, I re-watched the game today and I strongly think it is it should not be a red card. And I think it's the the thing that is incredibly frustrating. I, I understand why I came to that conclusion yesterday on watching uh, replays with no sound. But I, I quite strongly think that Jack of Paper did not ask the question that I've seen other referees ask and is crucial in this scenario, which is, Play it again in real time. Because in real time, you see you see several things. You see a clear knock-on. You see uh Keenan dip to scoop up the ball. You see um Freddie Stewart like totally change his position to try and get out of the way. He's not trying to make a tackle, he's decelerating and, and trying to protect himself to be the so that the collision, if it happens, is the um, least worst collision that you can make of it. Um, so for me, it's not a tackle because he's actively trying for it not to be a tackle. There is a, uh, it's a very dynamic situation. There is a clear change of uh, Keegan's body height and body position as a consequence of the the ball going forward and bouncing and scooping to pick it up. Therefore, as um, as Harsh as it may be from an Irish perspective when one of your best players goes off for a HIA and, doesn't, and fails it and doesn't come back, I actually don't think it should be foul play because it's not, Freddy Schubert is not trying to tackle him. He's not trying to engage in contact.
1: You have just absolutely nailed it in that last sentence. The, 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 I checked this, the protocol that the referees go down, the very first question that they ask, has there been foul play? Hmm. Before you consider, was there contact with the head was there an effort to wrap the arms was there was it was it with force all of those questions are supplementary to has there been foul play mm-hmm. and that's where they got it bang wrong because the 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 protocol if being followed should have gone was there foul play let's have a look no that is not foul play move on and i agree and we have to have a place in rugby for accidents and for for um, unintended, non-reckless bodies colliding, you you cannot litigate and mitigate for that in a, in every circumstance. Nor should you even try to. And when you try to, you you just get things which I, I think in the cold light of day, most people that play rugby or have played rugby, mo- the majority, not everybody, but the majority of people, would come to exactly the same conclusion that you and I came to, Phil
2: yeah and I think another thing that that we've talked talked about in the past is what's the learning point like if you do if you actually want to change behavior as you know is a phrase that j b um, hates but a phrase that he likes is incentives well, yeah
1: well, like that's why you, that's why we're told the law changes and all this came in yeah, yeah
2: yeah it is but if if you want to incentivize kind of good behavior for want of a better phrase, what is the What's the learning, or how do you change? Like, this is not a behavioural trade. He's actually trying to get out of the way. Freddie Stewart. When you look at it in real time, you look at his actions and look at how fast it happened. He is not trying to make contact. He's trying to and, get out of the way.
1: And the spill of the ball and Keegan like reaching yeah. down to try and pick it up. All of that. How, you you cannot predict these things. So there's there's this duty of care argument and stuff that like Freddie Stewart is is a rugby player on a rugby field and. The, again, the, that, that Eddie Stevens phrase I keep using: the risk is the reward. If there wasn't yeah. the risk of accidents happening and someone getting hurt, and I hope Hugo Keenan as well, and mm-hmm. uh, and I hope he was able to join him with the celebrations and everything yesterday because he's, he's been he's been absolutely brilliant. But if there wasn't the risk of something like that happening, we wouldn't the game wouldn't be nearly as compelling as it is. So yeah,
2: I'm. Yeah. I'm I'm absolutely fine with that being if if it should be classed as a rugby incident in my mind. Um, fortunately, it is a, a rare, it's a very rare scenario. Fortunately, because it's a it was a horribly nasty collision for Keenan, but also red cards like that are irregular and rare. Yeah. It's not like we're not going to see ten of those a game, mm-hmm. um, but it just it really felt like it was the wrong result. And it is. it will be interesting to see how this is dealt with because we've seen, like, when Wayne Barnes gave Uini Antonio um, a yellow card for the Robbie Herring hit and then that got upgraded to red. We've seen things go that way, probably because there is... Uh, and rightly so, in um, for many reasons, there is a focus on um, head contact. It will be interesting to see what is done here, um, whether it's maintained as a red card or... Rescind Because um, there will be a disciplinary yeah. pr- proceeding on it. That that will be a really interesting uh test case that comes
1: out. Absolutely. I'm watching that one very carefully. Martin Twigg puts it like this on email contact at gmail.com. He said, Many many will be saying games gone soft after the steward red card. But it's not the real issue how we allow the interpretation of sorry, but it's not. The real issue is how we allow the interpretation of the laws to give referees the discretion to make a balanced decision uh, based on the speed of the game or how they don't. You understand the point he's trying to make? Uh, I'm not sure the current referee protocols are reflective of um, or understanding of the game in real time, which is kind of echoing the point you made, which is, um, and it's when you, it, I understand it in theory makes things more consistent when you have you reduce things to a flow chart but unfortunately when you reduce things to a flow chart you do simplify nuanced complex situations which no two circumstances are the same so it's that it's mm. that redu- reductive versus specific and emp- emp- empathetic way of viewing it and and I I I I would like but the problem is with Jaco Piper is if he hadn't have given that we don't know how... This is why I'm with you, Phil. I want to watch what they do. Because had he not given it, he might get absolutely hammered for yes. it. Yes. By his, by his superiors.
2: Yeah, quite possibly. Um, it, and you never know. I've seen on Twitter, I normally try and stay away from Twitter, but incidents like that, you, it's, it is interesting to gauge the perspective. And there's, there is a lot of uh, polarisation, as you would expect on Twitter. It's not, mm-hmm. not entirely surprising. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people saying, Of course it is a red card, you absolute idiots. And a lot of people saying, Of course it is not a red card. Or well, I actually think the the side that saying is saying it's not a red card is generally a bit more understanding and nuance than of course it's not a red card, you idiots. It's there's people putting forward sensible logical arguments, like I hope we've tried to. Um but you still get the people saying, Of course it is a red card.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, we will very much see what they do. Just, um, just on the just yeah. on the
2: risk um, piece. Did you see the lawsuit recently from women's rugby? No. So it's, it's a few weeks ago. Um, really, really. So absolutely awful case of a, a woman from playing rugby is paralysed um, as a consequence of a, a horrendous tackle. The, there's, I've, I've oh, it. it's like it's
1: like civil. It's, it's like um, actually been prosecuted as a criminal matter. Is it, uh, is it that one, or am I cr- crossing wires here? It, don't worry, yeah, carry it's on. not.
2: It's. I don't think it is a criminal matter. Um, I think it's. Um, I'll I'll send you the judgment. If judgment, fascinating, fascinating. Um, I'm fairly certain it's not a criminal matter, um, but it's the, the the whole thing. The whole read is fascinating. It's really worth reading. Not least because um, Tony Spreadbury, um, former international referee, um, doesn't do particularly well um, for the defendant as an expert witness for the defendant. That's quite interesting to read, um, that side of things. But the other interesting thing is is it frames what we mean by risk quite nicely. I can't remember. It was a few weeks since I read it. Um, I'll share it with you after this, Tim. It's definitely worth reading. Uh, it frames what we mean by the risk that we take when we go onto the field. Um, Because the tackle that's made is, so it hinges as whether, the case hinges as to whether it was a legal or an illegal tackle. And if it's a legal tackle, you take the risk of playing the game within the laws. If it's an illegal tackle, you, you don't accept the risk of people doing illegal acts on the field and it frames mm. that acceptance of risk quite nicely. Like that it seems quite quite obvious, but um you you only accept the risk of the laws as they are written as you go on to play and as you understand them. Like for example, a, a really clear example would be if someone puts a crowbar in their forearm, um, forearm guard, they've got a, a metal bar in there and hits you in the head with a crowbar, you don't accept that risk. That's not a risk that you accept by going onto a rugby field. So that is that would be a um, clearly um, both illegal on the rugby pitch, but also illegal in a court of law act, um, whereas you do accept the risk of the known laws as you play it. I just thought it was a really interesting case to kind of frame that far better than I have done in my explanation now. No, no. I, I, I'll, I'll say don't... that.
1: No, I'll absolutely check that out. Um, I will um, just summarize, just rattling off a couple of things off my head before we depart from uh, Ireland v. England. We've we've talked about how brilliant Ireland were and and they were. I I just, I love how, I love the different types of players they've got. They've got the the real classy ballers and like just in their pack, you've got Dan Sheehan, who's like a modern Mm. 2023 prototype prototype of a player just awesome and then you've got Peter Romani, who's so old school and belligerent and when because actually there was a lot of defending that Ireland had to do and he was just he didn't do a lot ball carrying but he was just an absolute nuisance I can't I just kind of love those different textures and different characters they've got they seem to sort of have someone that ticks every type of box Caelan Doris just an awesome like all the hands explosive and then you've and then you've got, yeah, and you, then you've just got these absolute tough work courses. It's, it's great.
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's a really, I've not thought about it in that way, but they have got some kind of extremes, like Peter O'Mahony, Jack Conan is yep. old school. Yeah, Ty Furlong is old school. Yeah, um, Andrew Porter's kind of modern in his, in the fact that he's massive, but he's a more old school player. Whereas Caelan Doris, she had she? Sheehan, who's been brilliant, by the way. She is yep. superb. Um, Van der Fleer in the in the forwards. A- like
1: Aki McCloskey, and then you've got Henshaw and, and Hensh- Ringrose. Well, Henshaw Henshaw's probably slightly more of
2: the old school, but he can yeah, do a bit of both, can't he? Yeah. But like look at the two wingers. Mm. Um James Lowe, big and route one with a massive boot, and Mac Hansen, who uh,
1: he punches them all his way, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I've not always been Mack Hansen's biggest fan because he kept out. He got selected over <laughs> Robbie Balacoon. And maybe I've maybe I've held a grudge uh, for a long period of time. As a consequence of that, I cannot deny how well he's played, particularly the last two weeks. I think he's been absolutely sensational the last two weeks. He is a much better player than I probably gave him credit for. Well, certainly originally. than
1: the Brumbies or Australia gave him credit for.
2: Yeah, fair, fair point. Um and it, him and Keenan, uh, Hugo Keenan, they're just they just kind of effortlessly glide, and have got lovely hands. Whereas someone like James Lowe or Bundyaki is more root one, more, yeah. more bigger, stronger, more explosive, but um, very much one more one dimensional.
1: Yeah. As for as for England, I um, I hope this puts the Farrell Smith debate to bed whilst England weren't brilliant. And Owen Farrell, actually the attacking game needs a lot of work. I think actually there's, there's a foundation of non-negotiables you have to have, and you have to have a tough attitude. You have to have some rugby smarts and you just have to be tough to play international rugby. And uh, and Owen Farrell not only did all those things, I actually thought he was a fantastic leader in a way that, Mm. that, And maybe it needed to see Ellis Gens doing it for an hour last week and then Owen Farrell do it again in in a difficult situation like that to to sort of realise that no, yeah, he he is is one of those guys that goes and has a little moan at a referee sometimes and Mm. in the past people have just fixated on that but almost absence makes the heart grow fonder and Owen Farrell not starting, not playing in that hour and then you see him goal kicking and doing all of the fundamentals and it's just... I have I, I constantly talk about how I don't understand the disrespect that Owen Farrell gets, but I think whilst England weren't brilliant and no individual player was much better than their opposite number, if, if if better in any way, Owen Farrell, I think, has shut a lot of people up.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. 100% kicking this week, which is something that he struggled with earlier in the tournament. And the, the two moments I loved from Owen Farrell. One was when... Dom Brand bumped Sexton off the ball, and Sexton went down holding his head. And Farrell said to Jacko Piper, "Piper, um, if he's holding his head, he's got to go for HIA." I, I loved that. And like, yep, yeah, good point. We've uh, a point that we've made in the past actually. You, you've got to stop the play acting. Um, and the other one was when when uh, the red card was shown to Freddie Stewart. I don't know if you you heard red it. card,
1: red he, card.
2: I couldn't. I could not get Mick Morgan out of my head. You go... <laughs> <laughs> just... he went full full Mick
1: Morgan. <laughs> so true. The bit I loved actually, he gave away. Owen Farrell gave away the first penalty of the game, but I loved it. Loved it. It was the. I think it was he. He kicked it up, putting an up and under. In Hugo Keenan or no, Jameson Gibson Park caught it, and Owen Farrell absolutely. Yes. wiped him out and and unfortunately a fraction before Jameson Gibson's park uh, Park's foot touched the floor but we're talking centimetres so it was like mistimed by a, a, a fraction of a tenth of a second but but the Owen foul absolutely mullered him and kind yeah. of set him and a big hit from Ellis Genge in the first minute set the tone. Mm.
2: There was another good hit from uh, Willis later on on, on uh, Mac Hansen Coming around the back of a rolling mall, uh, popped up and just got nailed, nailed by Willis. So yeah, some green shoots. Definitely. Some
1: lots to do, and uh, there's still some question marks. Um, but we we can save those for another day. Um, was I gonna? Was I gonna just show? We've had some cracking emails this week, mm. um, and. Uh, oh, Neil Bathe, someone who met JB in uh, in Dubai, uh, was emailing about that red card decision. I think generally the email seems like I'd say it's like ninety percent. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. The uh, let's just briefly talk about the coverage of the Six Nations in general this weekend. Now, I love Nick Mullins, commentator. I would never want any other commentator talking me through my rugby. Um, ITV though, oh, you said you weren't listening uh where you were in talk- it was they had a bit of a shocker this weekend.
2: So I did when I was watching it yesterday, I wasn't listening. Today I've rewatched it and I I was listening. Um I've gotta say I'm not the biggest fan of Lawrence Delalio. Um I'm, I'm really not um I thought I thought Gordon Darcy was okay generally um but Delalio I'm not so sure of and I, I skipped because I was re-watching it. I skipped all the the pre match and halftime, so I didn't see Sir Clay. I saw that there was, was it four? Was it Rory Best, um, Bod, Johnny, Johnny and, and Sir Five? Yeah.
1: No, the, yeah. The issue, there there was a few issues I had with it. One, they um, like this is a big occasion, this big moment. That the pundits were having a chat. And it didn't seem, they weren't like, well, they didn't sound excited. It was kind of like a, let's have a, let's have a cerebral chat about this. And and they carried on that conversation as the teams were running out onto the pitch. So you had yeah. the pictures of the teams running out, but the audio you heard was you didn't really hear the crowd or the occasion. You just heard them sort of having a very, like a, a relatively mundane conversation about tactical elements to do with the game. And it was like, this is such a massive occasion. And this dovetails with, um, in in the I think in the it was Scotland Italy game. I think that they there was just talking all over referee decisions. I mean, BBC have done this as well. This isn't an ITV B, BBC thing, but and then after the game, they I know they moved it to ITV four, but the moment they chose to cut away was just before the trophy was being lifted, <laughs> and when they cut to Ant and Deck.
2: Ant and Deck, uh,
1: <laughs> which. I don't know. I know it's a difficult one, but uh, I don't think any of the broadcasters have particularly covered themselves in glory. Uh, we we talked about Gareth Thomas being on BBC coverage uh, previously.
2: Oh, uh, and ITV,
1: yeah, and well, he's on ITV, yeah, he's yeah, on ITV as well. So
2: yeah, yeah, which is outrageous.
1: Yeah, and then the it was one of the games. Was it the Italy game? Was Italy Scotland was out of sync. It was like a second out of sync. The commentary and the pictures they were just they were ahead of the the commentary was ahead of the pictures so um but weird the rugby's been brilliant the tournament's been ace and um what what, what was the, what, what game would you want to talk about next Phil
0: Um, so I watched um,
2: watched the first half of Scotland, France, and then the second half I saw while I was in transit to um... sorry, did
1: I say Italy, France, Italy Scotland, you know what I meant anyway. Sorry,
2: Italy, Scotland. yeah, yeah sorry oh, yeah, Italy, sorry. Scotland, sorry. Yeah. Italy, Scotland. I watched the first half of that at home, and then the second half while I was in transit. Um, and the last 10 minutes of that game were excellent. So obviously you've got the the crash ball ten, uh, Kinghorn scoring a couple of tries. They
1: are Kinghorn three tries, wasn't it?
2: Well, a couple of tries, and then in the yes. you got so it's um, three tries to one ten minutes ago. But Scotland haven't kicked sticks, so Scotland are only five points up, and Italy start turning the screw in the last ten minutes, and when a few scrum penalties, get some good field position, get close to the line. Get turned over and just had ten minutes of possession, and then the last scrum when Scotland have—they've only got three tries, but Italy could still win the game. They've got a scrum five meters from their own line, and they should just finish it off because they're not going to go ninety-five meters. But they go for it. They went for it. And they could have—they could have thrown an intercept. Scotland could have won that game, but they went for it because they wanted the bonus point to ensure that they finish um, third. And they scored an absolutely brilliant try. So Kinghorn scored his two um, route one crash over tries, and then showed amazing pace to accelerate away and score that that final try, which was a it was a hell of a try. It was a hell of a risky situation to do it, and fair play even without Finn Russell in the field, they they went for it and did it. So I, I loved loved that finish. Slightly disappointed that that Italy didn't get the win that they. Their overall performance is probably deserved one win, but um, it was good to see that finish.
1: Agreed. I just, I just, I want to be fair to uh, all broadcasters and and make it seem not like I had a, an ITV vendetta. <laughs> we got we got an email here from uh, Alan B. Contactedchasers at gmail dot com. He says. uh, Love the pod. Blah. I agree with JB. Yeah. Have you noticed, <laughs> as I have, that the BBC commentators have been calling Marisi Menoncello for the whole first half? Menoncello is on the team sheet as 12, but it's definitely Marisi wearing the 12 shirt. I think they've figured it out now, only 60 minutes into the game. <laughs> it can happen. It, it
2: happens to the best of us. We've all, the best of us. We've, we've all called... Uh, Players, people, the wrong names at times. Yeah, or even even called the wrong games, the wrong teams. Yeah, so right. I... <laughs>
1: uh, and uh, we we got an email here just before we. Uh, sorry, because uh, much like you, because because of the um, the Tock H match, mm. it actually wasn't a conventional Super Saturday where I was. Again, partly because Didsbury Tock H do not have their first team pitch next to the clubhouse, so you can be in sight of both a big screen and the pitch. Which is very yeah. disappointing. One, um,
2: one of the few weaknesses of Didsbury Talk H.
1: Yeah. Well, that and the pitches being on a floodplain. So, yes. When they need to open <laughs> open the floodplain, you can't play rugby there anymore. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, great club. Um, got an email here from Charlie, who says, uh, Hope all is well on the pod and commiserations to Jane B on his recent election results. Check out the other podcast for information on that. Mm. He said, I was watching uh, George Gregan on a recent. Uh, alternative grassroots podcast and he rattled off a couple of stories about Byron Kelleher which were quite amusing I decided to go on Wikipedia, his Wikipedia page afterwards and I stumbled across some gold he, just, he posted us a little picture and says you're welcome and do you know much about Byron Kelleher other than he I just, think he was a massive unit of a scrum half
2: yeah I think I've read his Wikipedia page before and there's something to do I'm going to say something to do with a uh, niche actress. Am I right? Is that?
1: Yes. Well, so clearly someone's, uh, Byron Kelleher is both um, well known enough that that he has a Wikipedia page that that people can edit and not famous enough that anyone would go and correct the edits that people have made. So Byron (laughs) Kelleher, maybe it's been changed by the time you read it. So I'm glad there's a screenshot here. Uh, it says, during Kelleher's formative years at Otago High Boys High School, he was a champion sprinter, obliterating the regional record for 100-meter sprint previously held by Peter Snell. I can believe that's true. Next sentence. Fable has it that before competing in his dash, Kelleher's, Kelleher outstretched his arms in celebration. Usain Bolt would go on, to record, uh, go on record to quote this moment as the inspiration for his premature celebration in the 2008 Beijing Olympic <laughs> Games. <laughs> so...
2: I've just got onto his Wikipedia, so that that is actually linked, as in that statement. Everything needs in Wikipedia should be referenced. That statement is referenced. I can't believe it will. This I'm clicking on his on the reference to it. There is absolutely <laughs> no way reference from the from the Washington Post contains any reference to um, Byron Byron Keller. <laughs> so that, let me just confirm that with a quick search. Uh, Byron, no, zero of zero, zero, zero references. Yeah. So yeah, that is, that is clearly made up.
1: It, it, mention, it mentions that Kelleher met uh, in 2004 an American uh, adult movie star, Ashley Spaulding, better known as Kailani Lay. Um, they reportedly crossed paths in a hedonism resort in Jamaica, then dated and lived together until they split in 2006 the independent called them a raunchy antipodean answer to posh and Beck's, and again that's got a reference which i don't which obviously is not a genuine reference
2: well so that one i've have heard that before and i can't remember if i've just heard it through uh wikipedia or if that one actually i think that one might actually be real i think but let's let's keep is there any more from your side
1: uh, yeah, Keller has rumored to have had a torrid love affair with the American pop star Pink.
2: Now that I find as being less likely, and looking at the uh, looking at the reference to that one or the link to that one, yeah, it just links you to uh, all the All Blacks' two thousand and seven fixtures. Oh, there you so go, and, and
1: so as, that and one then, is not right. And then after talking about the Pink uh, love affair, it said Graham Hes- Henry. Uh, actually tested Kelleher for his testosterone levels as his behavior in training was primitive and raw
2: <laughs> <laughs> again, I suspect that is not not real
1: um and then it says the result of this test showed inhumane levels of testosterone which led Henry to place Kelleher on the team sheet uh for the test a day later off the team sheet for the test a day later as he was too scared for the well being of the French <laughs> um uh, and then, Helleher was dating Julie Noves, the 22-year-old at the time and daughter of Toulouse manager Guy Noves. <laughs> uh, what else is there? You see, I so, if... I,
2: so I think some of these are real. Yes, some of these are not real. That's that's the best. Um, there's always an element of truth in the best fiction.
1: He was he was uh, he was rumoured to have been romantically involved with the Princess of Monaco. <laughs> He's I mean, good. He was good-looking fella and a proper unit. Um, anyway, there's there's lots of this stuff. Thank you, Charlie, for that gold mine. I appreciate it. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um. There we go. Uh, Scotland will be fairly happy. They're the best of the rest, is how they've been described, and I think that's fair.
2: It's fair, and we we actually I remember seeing this last year after last year's Six Nations. Then it was France mm-hmm. are number one, Ireland are number two. Then there's quite a considerable gap, and then you've got everyone else. And that has not changed. That <laughs> Now, it, France and Ireland have switched round. Now you've got 1A and 1B. Ireland are the best. France are second best, but either could beat each other on, on their day. Then you've got a long, long way down. Then Scotland are next best. England, just about in fourth. Wales, fifth, but improving... In Italy, they are in sixth, but again, they are improving. Yes. Agreed.
1: Uh, and Italy justifying their place in the Six Nations. There's no one questioning whether they should... Uh, the, the, the promotion, relegation, Georgia, et cetera, at the minute. And that's a positive, really positive thing for Italy. They're not going to get out of their pool in the World Cup. They've, no. New Zealand, they've got New Zealand and France. It's not happening. So just... uh, I guess their under-20s are all right. And that's that. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, under twenties. Uh, by the way, the Ireland got another Grand Slam, and just showed yeah. that, they, that they kind of back. rude, rude health come through. Their back row at under twenties are frightening,
2: but it's back to back Grand Slams, isn't it? Yeah. in Under twenties, that is very impressive.
1: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And then we've got. How do you assess Wales after that? It's a bit like England. There's a lot of people going, "Oh, they lost," but oh, that's 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 good. And is that where? Is that where Wales fans' heads are and should be? Probably. So, I think halfway
2: through the tournament, kind of two, three games in, I thought Gatland had lost it. I now kind of see his plan, um, or at least I, I think I understand that he's he's got to test all of his combinations and test which ones, in a very short space of time, are the right ones or indeed still the right ones, because some of them will be the ones that he knew kind of four years ago, mm. um, knew for many years, <laughs> four years ago plus. I think he's probably done that. And also Gatland is a man who, he he stays in every fight. The Welsh team that he, he led for years and years and years and won multiple Grand Slams with was the kind of team that would stay in every single fight and never go up. And that is the kind of team that you need. Like, it took him to uh, two World Cup semi-finals that he lost narrowly, um, took him to multiple Grand Slams and um, two successful Lions tours. So I think Wales, they will be in a good place. Um, whether they're good enough to actually um, fire a meaningful shot at the World Cup, it's probably... They probably won't be, but they will at least uh, put in a respectable showing.
1: Well, I think they could quite, quite realistically and reasonably get to a World Cup semi-final because they're probably. uh, I mean, I'll back. uh, It's not a foregone conclusion by any means, but I'll back England to beat Japan definitely, and I'll back us to beat Argentina as well. But
2: yeah, even though we lost in the autumn, even though we lost in the autumn, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah
1: and then if that is the way it goes i imagine wales will probably finish runner up in their pool maybe first so wales can beat england in a one off game in a world cup quarter final then they're in a semi final
2: definitely they can they can beat england yeah
1: and then they showed in the last in, in you know against south africa in the last world cup they can they can st- and as you just said they can stick with any team um the, there was the a few people th- yeah go on
2: well well the problem they've got is the that- the problem that several teams have, which is they can win any one-off game. And they've they've beaten teams recently enough to show that. Um, They can't win. I don't think that they can win. Let's just call it quarters, semi-final, three back-to-back against three of the best teams in the world. I don't think they can do that.
1: I agree. But having said, you know, Ireland may well not reach a semi-final. I think a semi-final for Wales should represent a big success, bearing in mind where they've been.
2: Yeah, and I would I would agree with that. Actually, that that would be a good result for them.
0: Yeah.
1: Well. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of this game, um, from what from what I saw, watched, watched pretty much all the second half live. Been back and watched some of some of the other stuff. Um, France did what they needed to. They scored some lovely tries. Peno, looking class. Fiku, looking class. Um, the Dupont pass for which try was it? It was Pinot's first try. It was outrageous, um, and they won this game—a relative cancer. But Wales to score four tries away in France—they'll take a lot of positives out of that because generally they don't. They they struggle to to rack up the points. So I think both teams will be relatively happy. Um, with this result which is a bit weird considering France put um, 40 points on them
1: Yeah I think there's a couple of Welshmen that have have answered critics in the way that you know uh, Owen Farrell would have quietened people Nick Tompkins has had a load of stick we like him and I thought he he was Wales best player and he he kind of you're watching it and it's easy to say that now Monday morning quarterback hindsight 2020 and all all the rest of it but it made you wonder why he hasn't been playing before because he operates in a very good Saracens team he's never really let Wales down some people think he have recognised he has some limitations in his game but doesn't everyone but yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's a square peg in a square hole in that Welsh team and and, and really does a basic job that they need and so I, I thought that was good
2: He he does he does a good basic job and he he's got a little bit of um, magic as well. His, his feet, because he's he's relatively short and fast, his um, his feet are excellent. He always beats defenders, so I I quite like him. But I do I think it's this. Um, if you'd have asked me last week, I would have said no. Hawkins and Grady, that's going to be the the centre partnership going forward now. Like Gatlin's settled on that. And now we're back to, and indeed, um, Owen Williams. Now we're back to bigger Tompkins North. So yeah. I have no idea. I yeah. absolutely do not know. Well, those two, was. actually,
1: it's a little bit like going where England are now and also because he's class generally, but Owen Farrell and an Ollie Lawrence or maybe even a Manu Tuolangi, there's something to be said for it where when you need to just sort of simplify your game and have a foundation to build from. Dan Bigger and Nick Tompkins sounds like not a bad place to be.
2: Yes. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and um George North as well, cutting some nice lines at 13, doing some good stuff. Yeah. Um if you were going to pick, I know JB would hate this, which is why I'm going to ask the question. If you if you were going to pick a um a, a team of the tournament. Yeah, go on. We can rattle through this. We could we could do it actually. I was gonna ask the question do you think a single Englishman gets in? I think no.
1: I think no, I think no. I think you're right. I don't think I can't think of a Welshman that would get in or an Englishman.
2: Probably not. I mean it's you really you're basically picking from it's half Ireland, half um, France, with maybe a couple of Scots. Maybe Hugh Jones and Duane. Um, and maybe Zander, Zander Ferguson, but yeah, that's 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 your team. So sh- should we do it just to annoy yeah, JB? Yeah, just to annoy back. JB.
1: So uh, Lou said prop um, Porter
2: or or Cyril Bay.
1: Yeah, uh, Cyril Bay only played a did he only played a couple of games, didn't he? Did he? No, no, he played three of them. He played in that first. Or did he play all of them? No, he played all of them. I think he,
2: he, I think tight they
1: it's tight because... they rotated every week. Because yeah, of no, red cards. And, and so. Cyril Cyr- Bayer's got better and better and better through the tournament. So it would be a toss-up between him or Porter. I don't mind which.
2: And that that might be the one place where you give a note, an honourable mention for Ellis Genge. Yes, I agree. But but it's one of those two. Genge isn't getting ahead of those two.
1: Uh, Hooker, did Dan Sheehan. Sheehan do enough in two games to mean he has to get it? I think he did.
2: I, I think he did. I, I, I think Sheehan. I, I think he would be... Starting for the Lions, if there was a Lions test tomorrow. 100%. And, he's, and he is... I, I, I thought a few years ago when he first started, probably only two years ago, I remember him playing against France and I thought, God, maybe he's, maybe he's a bit lightweight for an international. He's not. He's just class. He can do absolutely everything yeah. um, and more. He's one of those like hooker pluses where he yeah. does all the basics just as well as anyone and can do more.
1: Yes, tight head prop I I would find this one tricky there hasn't been a standout tight head prop no
2: I'd probably go for Xander Ferguson, but um, he missed a couple of games
1: because WP Nell played um, this might be where England come closest not because Carl Sinclair was brilliant but because there's no one really that was great yeah uh, so I don't sort of think I'd pick him though
2: no I'd, I'd probably go for Ferguson.
1: yeah but- I'll go with that. Ty Fairlong was only there for a couple of games and wasn't actually brilliant. Yeah.
2: Fin- Finley Beelan played well when he played. Toro Tool played well when he played. I can't give it to any French tighthead because no. of all the bad things that they've done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Right, let's go with Xander Fagerson then. Done. Fagerson. Um, second row, easy to pick Thibaut Flamont as one of them. Argu- Fl- arguably player of the tournament.
2: Definitely Flamont. Um, could go for um big James Ryan, who's been consistent without being exceptional.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I'd go with that.
2: Um I do I do like Ryan Baird. He's um but he's not played enough no. to warrant it. But yeah, I do like him. He's
1: um, a very exciting player, yeah. He is. So James yeah. Ryan and Thibaut Flamont. That that feels good. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention it in the um England roundup before, but Dave Ribbons looked good for England and potentially to the point that Honestly, if if it wasn't for the all the incredible games he's had in the past, I think on merit, Ribbon's Chesham might be might deserve to be England's starting locks.
2: Yeah. Now, do you have any insight in, in, as to what's happened to Johnny Hill? Because he was a mainstay for England. Yeah, Lions. Ly- Lions two years ago. Um, he's got a lot of experience. He's prime age. Um, and he's, he's not he's not injured. He's fit and playing for Sale Sharks and playing pretty well. It does it seems for whatever reason, Bothwick does not like him, does not want him because you've you've lost your starter, bringing in Ribbons, who is off to France, and so yep. as things currently stand, will not be available um, post World Cup yep. for someone with all that experience. So it just seems a bit strange.
1: It's a great point. I have no insight whatsoever, no mm. um, that will, that's one, put a pin in that one come back to it right, back row then
2: right gotta have Olive on gotta have Caelan Doris and gotta then, have Van der Fleer yeah, you probably do have to have Van der Fleer but then I think Aldrete had some amazing games I think he was quite quiet at the start he was incredible he was, against
1: England decent against work but yeah, he was poor yeah. so, not not poor but quiet that's the right way to put it. Um, Quite, the, the, yeah. What, he, the, got
2: brought off, he got brought off after 12 minutes against Scotland, which obviously that's not his fault, but that, yeah. uh, just a, it was a weird move.
1: What was the, uh, oh yeah, that's right. What was the, um, which one of the Canoni brothers is the number eight?
2: Yeah, the number eight one. Um,
1: L- <laughs> I Lorenzo? I think it's Lorenzo. Uh... It's Nic- Nic- Nicolo and Lorenzo, but I think Lorenzo is the number eight. Him. He he was good.
2: He is good. Really good. He is good. That, that's a good shout. Definite. And um honorable mention mention for Negri and Lamaro, actually. Yeah. That Italian that Italian back row is good. Um, legitimately
1: good. And Matt Faguson was brilliant in the first game, but then obviously injury. Um yeah. so uh I'm going Doris at eight, Van der yeah. Fleer at seven, Olivon at six.
2: Yeah, very, very, very happy with that.
1: All right, cool. Scroll, nine,
2: scro- oh, nine. It's, <laughs> right. it, it's laughable to even debate, to even discuss <laughs> it. So let's just move it's, on.
1: And, and just, just, just on Dupont for a second. I, I think we talk about our players, world-class and they, they work is DuPont is, he needs to have a subcategory all of his own because he is beyond world-class.
2: Yeah. I, I think he is. I think he is the single best player in the world at the moment. He might be the best nine to ever play the game. In, including greats like um, George Griegan, who you mentioned earlier, um, and Jus Van de Vestesen and and all like he he is outward. He's redefining what a nine should do in almost every single category. He's he, outrageously good,
1: and it, he is not. It's not beyond. Bear in mind how young he still is. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that he that we are watching the greatest rugby player of all time.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a remarkable thing to say. Um One thing I would be maybe not concerned about, but he plays a lot of rugby because mm-hmm. he's so important, because he's so good. You would worry. And he plays every game 100 miles an hour. He's incredibly physical for a nine, Um, which... Sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but he isn't just, he's incredibly physical. Like, ignore the nine part. He is just an incredibly physical player. So, I would, I do worry that maybe he does need a little bit of, um, like, looking after. Yeah. He's a, he's a hell of a If he's playing this well, like, it just doesn't matter. But you might look back and think, well, maybe we should have uh, protected him a bit more.
1: Uh, fly half. The the contenders are Finn Russell, Roman and Tamak, Johnny Sexton. That's it really, Probably isn't it?
2: Probably Sexton. Because Wales have rotated. Um, England have rotated. Uh, and Italy have rotated because they've had uh, Garbisi and Tommaso Allen. Finn um,
1: Russell's been great.
2: Finn Russell has been great. Although his best fits, I'm sure... <laughs> almost every game that you watch Finn Russell, you could have one of the best highlight reels of all time. You could also have like a Percy Montgomery style or um, Nick Abandon against the two Alargis style calamity reel of almost every <laughs> game that play he plays tries, because he tries so much that goes so well and he tries so much that just it doesn't quite work on, in every single game. It's very so, fair. I, I would go Sexton.
1: Yeah, I'll go with that. Centres, um, is, sh- is there a shout here for a dual Scott selection, Tua and Jones?
2: I think they should both be named, definitely. Um, Partly because I think Ireland have rotated so much because of injuries. Uh, and that's credit to Ireland. just't Dante
1: looked great when he came back, but he's only been back for a couple of games.
2: Yeah, now I think Fiku should be in there. So I would I would probably, and this has happened in the past, I don't think he played there in this tournament, but he's played 12 in the past, so I would actually have Fiku and Hugh Jones.
1: He, he did play 12 in this tournament. Did he? Yeah, he, I think he played 12 against... Uh, oh, no, Moafana did.
2: Mo, Mo yeah, Fartner. Mo Fartner played, lined up at yeah. 12. Or yeah, war, right. war 12.
1: Yeah, so uh, Fiku and Jones, I
2: like that. They'd be my turn. Now, 12, here's a point that I wanted to make, and I saw, you probably saw the stat... The yak stat this week, the which players made, I we, we call it yak, yards after contact. It wasn't badged as that, but it was yards in contact, basically. Who made the most meters um, in the tournament, in the first four rounds, um, in contact, or certainly from contact having been initiated? Did you see who it was?
1: I'm guessing it was an inside centre now, so... Uh...
2: big stew no no it it wasn't an inside center but it got me thinking that maybe he could solve a long-standing inside center problem
1: Hmm. so it's one of the england freddie stewart no uh yes freddie stewart really
2: yeah now i know you've spoken before about uh moving tommy freeman to 12 yeah What's not to like about Freddie Stewart? Like England England have far more back three players than they do inside centres. It, it's almost too obvious, particularly when Geordie uh, Barrett is playing 12, playing well for the Hurricanes and will probably be starting for the All Blacks as he has done in the past at 12. And Geordie Barrett is certainly in stature... And ability not too dissimilar to um Freddie Stewart himself.
1: That's very interesting. I, I see this is where I like the the Irish model that they've got their their game because when if they when they do have a positional issue, in fact, Robbie Henshaw is is the, the best example of it. He was a fullback when he started. Mm. And it was actually the Ireland head coach, I think it was Joe Schmidt, who said to Pat Lamb. We see Robbie as potentially solving our inside centre issue. Can you play him at twelve? Mm. Connacht get a bit of money from the IRFU. They're incentivised to try and help the national team, and so Pat Lamb said, "Sure," and they moved him from fullback to twelve.
2: Yes. Now this, this would be even this would be impossible to do partly because the clubs are alone to themselves, but also because actually maybe the maybe two of the next. Four best um, potential twelves in England also play for Leicester in Dan Kelly <laughs> when hopefully he's not injured and Guy Porter, so it's it's not going to happen. So basically, what I'm saying is Freddie Stewart needs to leave Leicester uh, and play twelve.
1: I'm up for it, and, and I want I want to see I'd like want to see Tommy Freeman at twelve as well for the same reason you said we've got so many back three players that Tommy Freeman is awesome and not needed so yeah. play 12 now didn't
2: am i making this up didn't jason robinson once wear 12 for england
1: oh he did was it against italy i'm i'm certain in about that rings about yes oh my goodness. yeah you're so right um might need to look that up yeah he definitely i'm almost certain that happened yeah, he, I think he might have skipped at the side when he did that. Maybe, yeah. Uh, Jason Robertson, inside centre. Let me have a look. Jason jinxed the way to create a new dimension. This was in two thousand and four, post World Cup win. I'm looking forward to Jason Robertson being offered an above average. Uh, blah, blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, against Italy in the Six Nations. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Um, right, so we got our centres picked. So we just got back three to select then. Yeah. Um, Damien Peno's on one wing.
2: Definitely Peno. It's, now, Peno and Duan are probably obvious choices. Um, I think Mack Hansen's been excellent.
1: And James then... Lowe's been good before, except for the England game. He didn't have a good game against England, but he has been good the, the whole tournament.
2: He has been good all tournament. Um, I think the two the two prime fullbacks in um Keenan and Thomas Ramos have both been excellent, both been really, really good. Yeah. Fre- Freddie Stewart has been very good under the high ball, obviously, and very good at crash ball, hint hint, play him at twelve. Um yeah, I'd probably go Pino Duan. And uh I'd probably go Ramos, but it coin toss between Ramos and, and yeah. Keenan for me.
1: Keenan started brilliantly, Ramos finished brilliantly. I could go yeah. with either. I could go with either. Let's go Ramos. Yeah. Would you would you go would you go Duan?
0: I think quite, I would do
1: ridiculously good against England. Always a threat. Any- he just beats so
2: many defenders. Yeah.
1: yeah, you're right. Let's go for Duan van der Merwe. So our our 15 is um, Porter, Sheehan, Fagerson, Flamont, yeah. Ryan, Olivon, van der Fleer, Doris, DuPont, Sexton. Uh, if we're going through the numbers, Duan, Fiku, Jones, Peno, Ramos. Perfect.
2: I and, love it. And even better, because if JB's listened to this, he would have hated every second of it.
1: <laughs> exactly that. Hello, JB. We know you're listening. <laughs> like that. It's like Howard Stern, which is to say on when he was a radio presenter, that um, the people that liked him listened for one hour a day. The people that hated him listened three hours a day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
1: and that's why the podcast has been so good with JB on it.
2: But yes, incredible.
1: <laughs> uh, Phil, it's been a pleasure, mate. I've absolutely loved this Six Nations tournament. It's been one of the one of the best I can remember.
2: It's fascinating, especially because in the World Cup year, you've always got the looming large what is going to happen in in six months' time. Yeah, I did. I found it interesting listening to um, Steve Borthwick. God, I can't remember if it was his pre match or his post match this week. But it, the point he made was he's had so, so little time. He had a week with the players in January. And then he said he basically, in tournament, he gets one train, one big training session with the guys a week. So he's had five big training sessions. And at times, some of his players, like for example, Jack Willis, who's starting open side for most of the tournament, has been uh, yo yoing back. um, to to Toulouse or the weekend so before the weekend before the French game he was playing in Paris for Toulouse against Racine on the Sunday night he was then up at 4am to travel back to the UK back back to England to Penny Hill Park presumably Um, and then only a few days later back uh, well it was at Twickenham but back playing against Frenchmen yeah ridiculous yeah that is ridiculous that's, that is unusual for an Englishman to have to do it obviously it's more usual for Finn Russell um, for example or Dan Bigger to be doing that kind of thing
1: indeed right thank you very much for all your uh, all your emails your messages you can find us patreon.com forward slash egg Chasers if you appreciate the fact we're there for you every single Monday morning 52 weeks of the year and um well, yeah, we'll, we'll keep making the podcast. Other people will just pack up shop now to the World Cup, all the World Cup warm-ups. Um, we'll be here for you every single Monday morning. Nice one, Phil. Cheers, Tim. Top stuff. Right, I'll get that. I'll get those all uploaded, mate.
2: Wonderful. I'm good gonna, stuff.
1: Mate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this so I can get cracking on that now. I'll uh, yeah. speak to you soon, bud. Have a good week. Cheers, Tim. See Maybe you, bye. Babe. Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.